the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, hello, y'all. I'm Dennis Prager, and about twice a year, I think, is that about right? Twice a year, I would say, I have this, uh, one of the most knowledgeable people, in in my opinion, in the world, on uh, international affairs, and that is George Friedman, founder and president of Geopolitical Futures. You can subscribe to his private intelligence site at Geopolitical futures.com and it is also linked to DennisPrager.com. George, where are you uh, holed up uh, at this time? Well, I'm in Texas. In, uh, Have you been freezing? Driftwood. It's warm now. We went through four or five days that was just terrible. And then it turned around since it's Texas and it's going to be in the 70s today. In a nutshell, I know there's not what you expected me to ask you about. It's not an international affair, but I'm curious. Do you have a theory as to why Texas was so unprepared? Well, it costs a lot to be totally prepared, okay? And for the most part, you're spending it on something that's not going to happen. And this was way out of bounds of whatever happened before that we had experienced. And so you don't spend the money. And then it comes and overwhelms you, and everybody says, you idiot, why didn't you spend the money? And the answer is because you would raise your bills by 20%, and you wouldn't have wanted that. So it really becomes, you know, are you going to take risks? And in this world, you take risks. This one, the electric companies in Texas lost. So you don't think it has anything to do with uh, green power and the a lack of use of oil? Well, everybody's jumping on this for political advantage, okay? Uh, it has something to do with green power. We were using windmills. It was about 20% of our electricity came from there, and they froze up. So uh, you can say that that absolutely contributed, and some say triggered the whole thing simply because it went down first. Uh, other people are saying that this proves that we should have more wind power. Other people proves that uh, the governor is an idiot. And so this is the United States, and now we take a natural catastrophic event that just happened, and we will blame everybody. Right. I I don't have, believe it or not, I'm, I'm, I think I'm in your camp. I only want to know the truth. And so just react, if you would, to my question this is what bothers me how could the most oil rich state outside of perhaps alaska not have enough energy at any given time no matter how cold and bizarre the weather we had the energy we didn't have the electrical transmission system that was delivered at that peak so there was no question that we could we had the energy and Houston was loaded with it and could have delivered it. But the question is transmission lines. Never had a weather like this. 
and therefore they just words dirty enough and enough enough. Okay, good. I'm glad I asked you. Okay, I got a series of questions. I read to my listeners last hour a remarkable report in the Wall Street Journal that despite the fact that the U.K. had the worst economic crash in 300 years, the sterling is higher than years uh, vis-a-vis the dollar. So I concluded two things. One, all the threats that Brexit would ruin the U.K. economy don't seem to be correct. And B, the dollar is losing its value. Is either or both of my conclusions accurate or inaccurate? Well, in general, not because of the price of sterling, uh, the terrible things that are going to happen to Britain are not going to happen. That was nonsense. Uh, Britain is the second largest economy in Europe. The Germans, for example, sell huge amounts of cars to the British. So all of this was a great pretense because there will be free trade agreements. They will trade with each other. They need Britain. And um, it went up. Now, why the dollar went down, that I'm not an expert on. But to me, so long as long-term deals are denominated in dollars and not in yuan or rubles or sterling, okay, the world still sees the value of the United States. States. Um, it's important to remember that when you do an international deal of billions of dollars, you want to denominate in dollars, not any other currency. So I'm a little at a loss on how the currencies fluctuate. I keep my eye on, is anybody making 15-year deals in the yuan? The answer is no. Right, yuan is the Chinese currency. For those uh, right. not familiar, right. I, I, that's quite all right. So you you are not pessimistic vis-a-vis the dollar. I may well be pessimistic with the dollar, but that doesn't always reflect how I feel about the currency, and it doesn't reflect how the United States is doing. Uh, people take the price of the U.S. dollar as a kind of sign of the health of the confidence that people have. For me, it's something else. It's Will they accept other currencies, or do they insist on still taking dollars even at these low prices? So, is you don't see then a competitor on the horizon? Obviously, not the yuan, and uh, I presume. I mean, I don't even know what else. The euro, I, I don't. I don't think you would uh, consider if you don't consider the Chinese currency, you're not consider the European as a rival. Is that correct? Right, and not only that. They're hedging their bets against the dollar. And one of the reasons it has you know, gone down is the weakness of the entire global economy. But as it comes up, you know, it, it's a wonderful opportunity for American companies to sell. We're cheaper than it used to be. And it's a little harder for us to buy European goods, but we don't import all that much, really. Our major imports are from China. They are, but even there, our major import is from Canada. Our second major import is from Mexico. China's a far third. Interesting. Talking about Canada, the XL pipeline, first day in office, President Biden nixed it. How do the Canadians feel about that? Oh, my God. There's a state called Alberta 
that's prepared to go to war with the United States. Look, it was a, pardon me, I shouldn't have opinions, but that's a stupid thing to do first thing out. It's our number one trading partner. Our number one lie. Uh, whatever you think of Trudeau, and he's a piece of work too, um, he doesn't call Trudeau first. He just announces that a massive project that's critical to Western Canada is canceled. Uh, I'm not sure what he was thinking. Oh, I am. I, Forgive me. It's one of the rare times I'm sure and you're not. He wasn't thinking. He listens to the environmentalist left of his party. Well, he wanted to, I suspect, you know, uh, start out by pleasing his base. Yes. But they are our number one customers in the world. It's irrelevant. So, you know, he's pleasing that. You know, Americans have a very strange view. They think China is our major partner. And it really isn't. It's Canada and then Mexico. And here we are, our biggest partner. We kick him in the teeth mm-hmm. by the way we do it as well as what we do. Now, if we did this to China, people would be howling in the United States. That's irresponsible and everything else. Do it to Canada. is just fine. So that's why I asked the question. I'm very uh, sad to hear your response, which I fully agree with. Do you think that anybody in Canada, like, for example, at the Toronto Globe and Mail, which is the New York Times of Canada, which I state is an insult, not a compliment, <laughs> and uh, do you think anybody there is thinking, hmm, maybe Trump wasn't so terrible for us? Well, out west, I spent a lot of time in Calgary, which we call Texas North, and they want to, they want to secede. They actually want to secede and join the United States. And they really wanted it under Trump. They really thought highly of him. And they disliked Trudeau intensely. Boy, I would that would be great. You get D.C., we get Alberta. Well, <laughs> this, is, this is something that there is a movement in Alberta. And it's not a frivolous movement, but, you know, they're not going to make any major moves. It basically says, you know, we're not, we're not part of Canada. Right. Toronto, you know, Ottawa doesn't treat us as part of Canada. That's we right. We are part of Texas. <laughs> well, that's fa- that. I did not know about that. I welcome it. And uh, look, uh, if there were a vote in my state, California, to secede, I would vote to secede. I think the U.S. without California w- would be a much better country. We'll be back in a moment. I'm speaking to George Friedman of GeopoliticalFutures.com. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, Dennis Prager here again with a message for anyone struggling with pain. Of course, I want you to know about Relief Factor, the 100% drug-free supplement that tens of thousands are now taking every day. I take it every day. I like being out of pain. But I know you may be skeptical. I certainly was. Then I kept hearing about all the people, including my wife, who were no longer in pain. So I decided to give it a try. In fact, listen to Janice's story. I was skeptical at first. But because of the pain that I was having when I would uh, substitute teach and have to climb stairs, so I have lower back, hip, and even knee pain. And after about three weeks, I found that I could climb stairs pain-free. But it wasn't only pain-free. I could do it step over step without holding on the railing. I'm really happy. It's, it makes me feel like I'm young again. That's relieffactor.com or call 800 500 800 500 
Let there be no doubt, big tech and the far left have joined forces to purge America of conservative views. So why exactly are we choosing to give big tech companies all of our personal data? The battle lines have been drawn. Big tech has made it clear which side they're on. Now was the time to take a stance. Protect your personal data from big tech with the VPN I trust for my online protection, Express VPN. Every device, whether you're on your phone, laptop, or TV, has a unique string of numbers called an IP address. When you search for things, watch videos, or even click a link. Big tech companies can use that IP to track your activity and tie it back to you. So stop handing over your data to big tech companies whose aim is to censor you and spy on you. Defend your rights and protect your internet activity with the VPN I use. Visit expressvpn.com dash Prager, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Prager to get three extra months free. Expressvpn.com slash Prager. Okay, everybody, I return to George Friedman, whom I speak a couple of times a year, always to my great benefit. He's the founder and president of Geopolitical Futures. You can subscribe. It's a private intelligence site, geopoliticalfutures.com. So we spoke about the kick in the teeth to Canada. I just learned from him that Alberta would like to join the United States. And, uh, God, D.C. joined Canada. We would have a net net gain there. All right, I'm allowed to fantasize every so often. Anyway, it doesn't have to be D.C. California's fine. I mean, look at at how much population they would get. I don't think the Canadians want them. No manure Sherlock. You got me to really say something I haven't said on the air yet. <laughs> you did it well. Thank you, sir. All right, so let's move on from North America to the Middle East. Uh, nobody that I know of uh, predicted that Arab nation after Arab nation would recognize Israel. It happened during the Trump era. How responsible is the Trump administration for those peace victories? They could not have made it happen. They could have stopped it from happening. And it was really important that they didn't stop it and that they blessed it. It was the Israelis in the UAE that basically began the process. But what we really have here, and this is important, this is an anti-Iranian coalition. This is the Arab world. Iranians are not Arabs. This is the Arab world pulling together with Israel as its centerpiece to face down the Iranians. And therefore, if I could jump the gun a little, what Biden thinks he's doing is really stunning. Because at the moment when we've reshaped, under Trump, the entire system, he wants to go back and start again with the Iranians. That's correct, which is as uh, wise as is Canadian policy. Much more dangerous. Um, The problem is this. This coalition is, it's weak. Not because of Israel, but the Arab states don't trust each other, and there's tension within Arab countries, and it's fragile, and it has to be held together. If the United States start showing that it may be favoring Iran mm-hmm. over this coalition, mm-hmm. Iran now has an opening to 
manipulate these countries by saying, look, the U.S. isn't with you. We're going to attack you covertly and overtly. Uh, let's talk business. So we've reached a point of enormous stability in the region, potentially, that's very pro-American, very pro-Israeli. And he wants to reopen the things that Trump did, primarily because Trump did it. Trump's strategy toward Iran was rational. He said, look, one, we don't know if you're going to produce nuclear weapons, and the inspections are a joke. Two, you still have missiles. I can deliver them. And three, you're carrying out covert operations all over the world. And he slammed sanctions on them. And he refused to back off and kind of crush their economy, which right now is not a bad thing to have happened to Iran. And Biden has come in, and he thinks it's four years ago, and he thinks he's Obama, and he wants to resurrect the uh, status quo ante, as they say. Do you have a theory as to why anybody who thinks politically, rationally, or morally would want to return to the status quo ante with uh, Iran? From what I hear and so on, the Biden administration is an automatic pilot. Their basic principle is everything that Trump did was awful. Let's go back to the way it was before. Mm -hmm. They haven't really thought through the implications here. There's a lot of personal stuff. Uh, Biden doesn't like Netanyahu one bit and vice versa. But the first three months of any administration is a zoo. So I would give him those three months to come to his senses. And I think, I hope he will, because opening up those talks, uh, reducing the sanctions, letting Iran out of the box, is going to cost us a lot in lives and other things. That's right. So who, to the best of your knowledge, is pushing I don't think Biden makes decisions so much as listens to people with power and influence. So who do you think is pushing for this? I think Secretary of State Blinken, who, you know, is a, is a fine person and is quite capable, but has not shaken off the fact that Donald Trump happened, four years of history happened, and you can't go back. And he has his game plan, and that game plan assumes that you can reverse what happened, and you can't. And I think it's Blinken who's doing this. Is that, is that, would you hold the same with regard to the Paris Accords? Well, the Paris Accords also come out of his supporters. Um, they want the, the United States to follow the Paris Accords. Of course, most of the members of the Paris Accords pay no attention to it. Right. It's not like it actually has any effect. Right. But they're going to use this as a tool. He has to placate he, Biden, has to placate his political followers. And whether we're part of the Paris words or not doesn't bother me, because it's a meaningless entity. But this happening in the Middle East is scary. We could reverse mm -hmm. and collapse everything. It is scary. That is correct. So here's a, here's a toughie. Do you think that China is planning to invade Taiwan? Actually, we study this, and the answer is no. 
The reason is they may be able to push an assault group through, but they cannot support it logistically. You know, it takes a lot to support a battle team. And they have to go across those straits, and the U.S. Navy, Air Force are quite capable of taking out Chinese ships. Even if they had a chance, okay? All right, hold on. This is really important to me, and my listeners will continue. George Friedman of GeopoliticalFutures.com. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. I'm speaking with George Friedman whom I do a couple of times a year to my great benefit and to yours. So, uh, by the way, with regard to geopoliticalfutures.com, uh, which you founded as this private uh, intelligence delivery service, which is self-recommending if you hear George Friedman uh, on my show, uh, is, there, is, there, is there a way to get a free copy, a sample copy for folks? Sure. Just come to this website www.geopoliticalfutures.com and there are freebies that will all be this. That's great. And if they mention Dennis Prager, do they get, you know, like uh, free pizza or, or something? We worship him. <laughs> I love it. I had no idea what you would say to such an absurd question. Great. Back to China and Taiwan. So I did not know what you would say. I really didn't. Sometimes in my mind I have I can anticipate a response. Often I can't. I couldn't this time when I asked would China invade Taiwan. And the gist of your response is that they would not risk confrontation with the American Navy. Is that correct? Well, it's two things. In fact, this warfare is the most difficult type of warfare back from World War II. Second, the Chinese have never done it. Thirdly, they're facing the most powerful Navy and the Air Force in the world. And they can shut down the invasion or shut down the support for it later. So, of course, the the obvious question is, do you believe the Biden administration would go to war with China? Well, the I always look in looking at the Biden administration, I look at Obama. Their continuity of that. Obama was pretty hostile to the Chinese, only in meetings, not in any serious action. Trump, who was widely criticized for this by Biden, actually did something imposing his uh, tariffs. But the position of the United States has to be that uh, we will intervene. The reason is we have an alliance in the region Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, the Philippines. Indonesia, Australia, now India. We have a huge stake in the region, and these countries would expect us to do it. So given the fact that Biden is very big on international institutions, we have a larger um, coalition, if you will, than NATO was. So if he's going to be at all consistent, he has to back up the Japanese and the Filipinos and everything else. Good. I'm, I'm actually glad to hear this. I have a great uh, stake politically, morally, emotionally in Taiwan. Is Hong Kong lost? Yes. Hong Kong was lost when the British signed Oh, it. my God. Are we, are we kindred spirits? Ah, I can't believe you said that. I was, That was Margaret Thatcher. How did that happen? Thatcher knew she couldn't hold on to it. 
Okay. Thatcher also knew there were things that were important to her, things that were secondary. And as much as she regretted that, she had no choice. Why did she have no choice? Why couldn't she say this agreement was made 100 years earlier with a completely different Chinese government? The answer could have been simply that the Chinese People's Liberation Army would cross the border. I think she had intelligence that they would do it. I see. This was the best deal. Uh, okay. Okay. I forgot about that. that. Yeah, and then I could... this long. So, but, for, for oh, forgive me, for all intents and purposes, what will the difference between Hong Kong and China be? Whatever they allow. In other words, they want Hong Kong to be a financial hub. The problem is the foreigners don't regard China as independent any longer. There's no advantage of being there. But we have to understand that what's happening in China represents a great weakness in the, among the Chinese. The numbers they put out and how wonderfully they're doing nonsense, uh, they have been hit badly by the sanctions of the U.S. And Xi wouldn't be arresting people right and left if you were doing well. Mm. When you start arresting people, that's usually because you're scared. Mm -hmm. He is. So I think we ought to look at this in the context of China as a whole, which I think the world is vastly overestimating, that our dependence on China is overestimated, but also the military capabilities of China are overestimated. Fascinating. Do you think that there will be, and I obviously am rooting for this, any movement of, of, of any consequence from manufacturing in China to manufacturing in, let's say, Vietnam? That's already happening. Okay, so let me let me get that full answer when we get back. George Friedman, geopoliticalfutures.com. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager, George Friedman. Go to Geopolitical Futures. Get a sample copy of his magnificent, what would you call it, a journal, publication? What would you call it, George? Publication as good as any. Okay. It's a uh, private intelligence site. Again, geopoliticalfutures.com. So I was asking... Is there a movement of manufacturers of any consequence from China to, let's say, Vietnam? What we're looking for is a movement to India. India is a huge, fairly sophisticated producer. But a lot of people don't want to move to India because of their regulations and because sometimes no one is in charge. Vietnam is a much smaller country, but the bigger question is, are they looking to move? And the answer is yes. And they're looking to move to places like Latin America, Eastern Europe, and Middle East even some. But there is absolutely a movement to leave China. Now, a lot of companies are very reluctant. They've got huge investments there, and they've got everything working. So they're leaning on the Biden administration to loosen up on the Chinese and you know, free, free up the operation big question in the world, is Biden going to release uh, the pressure? He says he won't, but we'll see. It's amazing what a force for uh, 
awful values big businesses in America have become. I mean, it, it just 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 adds to my list of of reasons to have contempt for American corporations. Well, since World War II, most big corporations have become multinational. Their loyalty isn't can't be to one country; it's to their shareholders, and it means that the United States, which many of them seem to be company, really aren't American companies. They are diverse companies in many countries in the world. Now, the United States has to make some policy decisions, taxing and so on, how we treat these people. And they all opposed intensely Trump. So the business community was divided, which wasn't noticed, which is there was the business community that supported Trump in the United States, and they tended to be middle and smaller businesses. And then the large businesses, Apple and so on, who violently didn't like the Americanist approach. And so what we're seeing is a process that's been underway since World War II has really gotten tough. You've absolutely hit it on it. One of the most important things is the fact that the major American corporations aren't American corporations. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, they're publicly owned. But I, I was referring, though, to things that have nothing to do with multinationalism, and, and that is you know, Coca-Cola announcing that, I don't know what, its workers all have to take anti-racism seminars. Yeah, that, 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 that's, that's another dimension. Yeah, no, it is. A, I, I know, and it's not the part of your international affairs. Well, but, but, but it is. We go through these strange phases where our workers and people have to go through rituals, you know, declaring their loyalty. And that's what really this is, the old McCarthyite loyalty pledge. Nobody takes it seriously, but everybody makes it. It's extremely unpleasant. We fire anybody who even mentions that thing. We f- who's we? My company. Our staff. We have a joke. We are absolutely uh, opposed to anything... Oh, I see. <laughs> oh, you're the opposite. I see. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes, yes. If if you're woke, leave geopolitical futures. If you're woke, why were you asleep? When did you wake up? Uh-huh. Fair enough. We have all okay. sorts of wonderful right. Agreed with that. So he, here's something, I don't know if it's in your uh, fr- framework of... Uh, of of interest, I mean, I know, I'm sure you were interested in everything, but anyway, uh, in the very beginning, some people associated the draconian laws of lockdown with uh, left and liberal uh, rulers or, or presidents, governors, mayors, etc. But from the from the outset, Modi in India. The Tanyahu in Israel and Johnson in the UK were just as draconian, if not more, than left-wing leaders. So, any thoughts on that? Well, we had a disease. It frightened us. We looked at the government to do something. They had no idea what to do. The best they could come up was wear, wear a mask and don't associate with anybody. Nobody considered the cost. What are you saying when you're saying a five-year-old can't play with other children? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or courtships can't go on? Mm-hmm. Or I can't play in my poker game? I mean, when something like that happens, 
uh, you're in a social crisis. And the problem was, it wasn't that Fauci didn't know virology. He did. He just never was in the position and didn't have the ability to consider the knock-on effects. And that was the problem, which is, yes, it was a solution to spreading this particular disease, but it had incredibly painful consequences. And in addition to that, it generated tremendous political opposition that's intensifying. So the problem with experts is not that they don't know their field, it's that they don't know other fields. God. Do I resonate to that? And my listeners have heard it in, in different words. That's exactly, I mean, this was, uh, this is a f- the phenomenon of stage one thinking, to use Tom Sowell's famous phrase. You don't think of what happens beyond your policy and the, 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 the catastrophe for kids not going to school, the catastrophe for addicts, the catastrophe for the economy, the catastrophe for people losing livelihoods. And now one mask isn't enough. And now the ultimate idiocy, wear a mask after being vaccinated. Geopoliticalfutures.com. Get a sample copy. Back with George Friedman in a moment. The Dennis Prager Show. All right, everybody. There is always a downside to uh, talking to George Friedman of geopoliticalfutures.com, and that is that the conversation ends. That is a big compliment to you, sir. You don't even have to react. I, I, I just want you to know that's how I feel. And I do so because I learn a lot, and I love learning, as quaint and as even uh, corny as that sounds. Anyway, again, geopoliticalfutures.com. Get a free uh, copy sample of his private intelligence report. So we've gone around the world here. Let's uh, let's end with uh, the Western Hemisphere and our country where we began with the opening, essentially the opening of American borders. What do you predict? Well, you know, down in Texas... There's not much objection to it. We move back and forth with Mexico pretty much, and half our workforce is Mexican. So we have a different view than Arizona or California and so on. On the other hand, it's a basic principle, which is your borders matter, and there are laws, and they have to be obeyed. When I came to this country, we stayed in the displaced persons camp for two, two years, waiting for a visa. Got a visa. Came in. It is important, symbolically and psychologically, that there be a border, that there be laws, that the laws be obeyed both by the government and potential immigrants, because that's the kind of country we are. We always have been. And we actually need those workers. So the idea that the Mexicans coming, you know, undermines our economy, maybe, but I haven't seen it. The idea that having open borders undermines our nation, that I think is true. Yep. So why do you think they do it? Well, it's very hard to understand the thinking that's going on. We have a long history of successful immigration with or without laws. Uh, we built them out of it. I think, you know, there is a movement to delegitimize virtually every aspect of this country. That's right. To try to make every aspect of what we do. Mm-hmm somehow illegitimate, including 
the obvious borders. And I think this will go on for a while. And this, these movements usually fail and blow up in your face. But what isn't under attack? Uh, virtually every word we say is scrutinized for propriety. But uh, this too shall end, and hopefully soon. Well, the big question is, everything ends but the damage they do before they end. Anyway, I want to thank you. George Friedman, geopoliticalfutures.com. Stay well. Take care. Dennis Prager, I'll see you tomorrow. The Dennis Prager Show, live from the Relief Factor pain-free studio. 